The text of our sermon this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning at verse 14. From the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. I've observed in um, the years that I've been preaching and pastoring a church that some of the most marvelous and dynamic services are the ones where there are uh, so many distractions and problems that has made it difficult for us to be there because the people who come to the service when they have to really work at it to get there are the people who really come for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. And He comes to honor that and visit that. And I trust that we'll experience that special kind of service today here. From Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety, and this is the name by which she shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. We've scarcely had time to savor thanksgiving, and it's already time to think about Christmas. I think I have reached the stage in my life that uh, one wag described as a period in life when it seems that the days get longer and the years get shorter. I think I have reached that period in my life. It just doesn't seem like that long since last Christmas, does it? Well, whether we like it or not, Christmas is here, and there's still time to get ready. It's never too late to prepare for this event. I was thumbing through the newspaper the other day, and I found this interesting ad. I've noticed it several times since I've kind of started looking for it. In bold print, the ad advertised a pre-Christmas sale. And I couldn't help but wonder as I looked at that pre-Christmas sale if that were not the spiritual condition of a lot of us. For some of us, our faith is kind of a pre-Christmas faith. Now let me cite some examples for you. If you only keep the law and that is all, your faith is pre-Christmas. The prophet talked about the time when the Messiah would come, when there would spring out of the branch of David one who would execute righteousness in the earth. 
And any athlete would know what that term execute means. It means to live it out. It means to do it. There is coming one, he said, of the branch of David who will live righteousness positively in the earth. Oh, they had their rules and their laws and their prohibitions. And these restrictions were laid upon them, but there was one who was coming who would live righteousness out. I have a feeling that if we were called today to stand before the judgment and were asked to justify our Christianity before the righteous judge of the universe, most of us would begin by the things that we haven't done. Oh, yeah, we'd get our list out, and we'd probably start here. Thou shalt not kill. I've never done that. We'd check that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I haven't done that. You know, I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls what do. And that's just about our righteousness. I was walking down the street not too long ago and I looked into the department store window and I saw those mannequins standing there. And all of a sudden it just kind of occurred to me that for most of us that those mannequins epitomize what most of us consider to be Christianity. You know, they, they are all there prim and right and they don't drink and they don't smoke and they don't wear makeup or jewelry and they don't go to the bars or dance and that's just about righteousness for some of us. And so if you keep the law and if you have your rules and, and the law that you've never broken and that is all and if you have that little list of the things that you've never done and that's all you do then your faith is pre-Christmas. Have you ever noticed how little time Jesus spent condemning evildoers? And John said that one day he was sitting in the temple and he was teaching righteousness. And all of a sudden came this regiment of the religious right and they were dragging this kind of emaciated woman in in front of them and they shoved, their, shoved her down at the feet of Jesus and they said... This woman was taken in the act of adultery. Now what are you going to do about it? And the law required that such a crime as that, such a sin, was to be punished by death. They were to take her out at, on the edge of a cliff and they were to tell her to jump and if she didn't, they were to shove her off and they were to watch to see if she was dashed on the rocks below and if she moved they were to take the stones and they were to stone her until she didn't and so they said here is this woman who has committed the act of adultery now what are you going to do about it and they folded their hands and looked smugly at each other but Jesus didn't spend time condemning her as a matter of fact, he knelt and began to write on the ground. And when he sensed that they were being restless and, and they were uneasy, he stood and he looked at them and said, Who is there among you who is guiltless of sin? Let him cast the first stone. Why, he didn't even condemn sin in them. And each one of them turned and left 
And so he looked at the woman and said, Is there anyone who condemns you? And she said, There is none. And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And then John said, The very next thing he did was to turn to those people to whom he had been teaching and, and say, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll walk in the light and not in darkness. Have you ever noticed that Jesus did not spend a lot of time condemning evildoers, but he did spend some time condemning good folks who did nothing. Case in point, the priest and the Levite who saw the wounded man lying by the road and passed by without helping. Now they may have kept their law to the T, but their faith was pre-Christmas. And the rich young ruler came to Jesus inquiring about how he could have eternal life. And Jesus said, what about the commandments? He said, I haven't broken any of these commandments. I've kept the law since my youth. And then Jesus said, well, what about the poor? What are you doing positively to alleviate the suffering of the needy? Why don't you take what you have, go and sell it, and give it to them? And what about you? Are you willing to go beyond just being respectable to being responsible? And so a lawyer came to Jesus and asked, What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus did not say, Thou shalt not. He didn't make that kind of a statement. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and strength and mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And who is my neighbor? And he told them the parable of the Good Samaritan. If all you do is keep the law and no more, then your faith is pre-Christmas. Secondly, your faith is pre-Christmas if it has never made the vital move from your lips to your heart and life. The thing that the prophet despised in the people of his time was a profession without a practice. And he condemned that kind of religion that brought an offering to God and the life was not consistent with the offering they were bringing. And he condemned the religion that was just talk where men came to the house of God and they said, and the temple of the Lord, and the temple of the Lord. He condemned that. And so Jeremiah talked about the time when Messiah would come and he would write a new covenant, not on tablets of stone, but he would write this new covenant on the fleshly tablets of the heart so that man's religion and his Christianity or whatever would be lived out in his life. Well, there's something vitally wrong with a faith, with a Christianity that's just talk. There's something essentially wrong with a faith that is just lip service. In the first place, it's a lie, it's dishonesty. It's play-acting, it's hypocrisy. And it is what Jesus condemned with a scathing indictment and he used the term, the word, play-acting, for the word hypocrisy. It's a game, it's a masquerade, it's a deceit. It's a deception, it's pretending. 
that I know something I don't really know, that I feel something I don't really feel, that I have something I don't really have, that I know someone I don't really know. And behind all of it is the basic belief that all that matters is the image. Back of it and at the heart of it is the belief that it really doesn't matter whether you are a Christian or not if you look like one. It really doesn't matter if you really have faith or not, if you have the image of faith. It really doesn't matter if you're walking with with the Lord or not as long as you have the appearance that you're walking with the Lord. He doesn't look like the Messiah. A little boy whispered and his middle-aged father motioned for him to get quiet while the rabbi was speaking, but he couldn't help but think This man doesn't look like the Messiah as my father had taught me he would be. He's such an ordinary man. Why, he doesn't look like the kind of Messiah I read about in the ancient prophecies. He doesn't act like the Messiah, thought the Pharisee, as he studied Jesus from a distance and he stroked his chin and pondered him. Those people he associates with, why really? And the disciples he has chosen to follow him, why I've never seen such a big group of losers, losers if I've ever seen any. How does he think the kingdom will ever be established on losers like them? He certainly doesn't act like the Messiah. I'm amazed at the broad understanding he has of the Scripture, thought the Sadducee as he watched Jesus from a distance. But he certainly doesn't sound like the Messiah when he talks about blessed are the meek. For what we need now is not someone of meekness. We need somebody who is aggressive. And he teaches that strange new teaching that if we're, to, if we're struck on one cheek, we're to turn the other What are we supposed to do? Let our enemies walk over us? Why, he certainly doesn't sound like the Messiah, and so they crucified him just because he didn't fit the image. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't look like the Messiah. He didn't sound like the Messiah. He didn't act like the Messiah. So they took him out and they crucified him for all that really matters, isn't it? is the image as long as we look the part. But whatever else we can say about images, we must say this about them, that God knows the image of the real man. He looks beyond the surface and the veneer and He knows what we are really like. You can't fool God. You can't play games with Him. God is not mocked. I'm told that Floyd Patterson, the ex-heavyweight boxing champion of the world, used to spend as much as $3,000 a year on disguises. And he would carry these disguises around in his briefcase. And if he ever lost a match, he hired a professional makeup artist to come in and put on this elaborate disguise. He couldn't stand to be seen in public as a loser. And Floyd Patterson said, this may not seem so serious, so important to you, but if you were in my position, 
you might feel differently and you might act just like I act. Let me ask you, is that what you're doing? Is it just a masquerade? Is your Christianity more than just what you say with your mouth? Is your faith more than just the, just the image and the projection? Is it more than just the surface and the outside? Is there more to it than just lip service? Don't you know that Jesus Christ came to save you from phoniness? And don't you know that God loves you just like you are? The thing that is basically wrong with a faith that, is, that never has moved from the lip to the life or the heart in the second place is because there's no joy in it. I, I suppose that the most unhappy time of my life are, are those times when I'm just serving God with my lip. There's no joy in that. There's no happiness in that. The most miserable people on earth are the people who claim the name of Christ whose Christianity and faith is a matter of an image. There's no joy there. Some of you know that Joanne Shelton is serving now this, this year in Korea. And she is working with our, our seminary in, 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 in Taejeon, Korea. And... Uh, I got a letter from her. Some of you got, I'm sure, the same letter this week. A letter indicating a need for prayer, etc. In this letter, uh, her partner told that Joanne was speaking through an interpreter to the seminary class a few weeks ago. And she said, I just want to ask you, is your life consistent with the offering you're offering to God? I ask you that, choir. I ask you that Sunday school teachers, I ask you that deacons, I ask you that church members, is your life consistent with the offering you're offering to God? And as I thought about asking you that question, God just said to me, well ask it to yourself. And I did, and it's not. And I have to confess to you with a broken heart, there is so much inconsistency in my life, so much for which I need your forgiveness and His. There's so much brokenness that needs to take place in me, so much phoniness. And she asked the second question. Let me ask you a second question. Has there ever been a time when your relationship with Jesus is sweeter than it is today? I ask you the same question. And the third question she asked was, has there ever been a time when your commitment to God is deeper than it is now? And when she asked that question, the interpreter began to weep. He couldn't go, any, he couldn't go beyond that. And the Spirit of God came to settle down on that little group of seminary students and many of them began to weep and Joanne began to weep. For well, there's something vitally wrong with a faith that is just comes that just comes from the lip and not from the heart. There's no joy in it. And some of us are so unhappy and so miserable because our Christianity is not really the overflow of our love for Him. 
Your faith is pre-Christian, finally, if you've never made a vital commitment to God. Now, I don't know how you read this text, but I see prophecy there concerning the coming of the Lord. He said, there's coming one who will offer sacrifices continually upon my altar. That is to say, there is coming one through whom I can have a vital relationship with God. There is coming one through whom I can make a vital commitment of my life to God. Have you ever made that commitment? Did you hear about the Methodist minister? I have to tell it on Methodist. The Methodist minister who called the bishop and said... Sunday, Jesus is coming to my church in person. What should I do? And the bishop said, look busy. <laughs> you know, we can get so busy, and that, that, that's it, look busy. Have you noticed that we can become so busy with Christmas that we miss Christmas? Have you, have you ever noticed that? I have. I remember as a young man one time looking so forward to Christmas, my favorite aunt was coming from New Mexico. It was going to be a great time. And it was all over. In about four or five hours, she left. Everybody left. And I remember how sad I was that it was all over. I have understood since then that the reason why there was such a disappointment and a letdown was that I was so busy with Christmas, I missed the whole point of it. I think a person can be, become so busy with the kingdom, he misses the king. That happens to us. The problem with so many of us is that we stop at the manger. We do that every year. We stop at the manger. Lo, again, he's born in manger dark. Lo, again, he sleeps upon the hay. And again the world grows luminous with starlight and softly fragrant, but we stop at the manger. If we stop at the manger, then there is no real Christmas. If all there is is the birth of a baby, and that's all, then there is no real Christmas. But he grew up and he became a man. He lives and he thinks and he talks. He became a world leader and a bearer of burdens. We're not disturbed by the baby of the manger, but we're disturbed by the man when he says, Come and follow me. No man can serve two masters. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Go and sin no more. Take up your cross and follow me. We adore the baby of the manger, but we are outraged by the man frequenting our marketplaces. Doesn't he know he has no right to trespass here? Coming into our legislative halls, doesn't he know you're not supposed to mix politics with religion? When he enters into our business transactions, why is he always looking over my shoulder? We adore the baby of Bethlehem, but we are outraged by the man. We like to hear the angels sing, but we don't want to hear the Sermon on the Mount. We like to keep our religion on a child's level. We don't want it on an adult's level. We adore the baby of the 25th, but what about the man of the 26th? Have you ever made a vital commitment of your life to him?
And I don't know how much we can force upon the idea of Christmas, but I think there's a principle of truth in that little verse, that little passage that says that when the wise men came and they brought their gifts to Jesus, they gave Him the best they had. And I don't know if you've ever understood it or not, but the gifts they gave Him ran the gamut of all that is important in life. They gave Him what they had of their life. And when they gave Him in worship and adoration the best they had in that vital encounter with the living God, the Scripture says they went away a, di a different direction. And I don't know how much we can force upon that idea, but the truth seems to apply today that when a person comes to make a vital commitment of his life to Jesus Christ, he always leaves a different person and he goes to walk a different way and he goes to live a different life. Has there ever come the time when you've made a vital commitment of your life to Jesus Christ and in the commitment of your life to Him have given Him the best you have, that is, given Him your life. And as the result of that commitment, you've left a different person, new and reborn. If that's never happened, then your faith is pre-Christmas. You've never met the Lord. Finally, your faith is pre-Christmas if Jesus is not king. Listen to what W.E. Sangster says about him. Listen to this. He was born 6 B.C. of a young woman not married in an out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. He grew up in an unsanitary village named Nazareth with no known distinction of birth, belonging to a despised people, denied the best education of his day and race. He was trained as a carpenter at the age of 33, or at 30 years of age, he laid aside the tools of his trade and began to teach and preach and heal. Although the common people heard him gladly, he never touched world affairs in any obvious way. His whole life was lived in one obscure province of the Roman Empire, and his travels were limited to an area half the size of Wales. After three years of ministry, he was arrested on suspicion of leading a popular revolt and executed by crucifixion. The life which began in shadowed obscurity ended in public shame, but not very public. The whole matter seemed beneath the interest of people of quality, and his name was so unimportant that it wasn't even mentioned in any official document that has ever come to light. Two thousand years have passed by. Nearly a third of the world worships him. It is a safe guess to say that another third holds him as Mr. Gandhi did in enormous respect. He has inspired the mightiest music and the greatest art the world has ever known. People have died for him in every generation since he himself suffered. Multitudes would die for him today. Indeed, some who deny belief in all religion consider that his rule of love could save the world. 
Who was this strange, peerless person? The Christian church is built on the conviction that he was God himself. Do you believe that? Have you ever made him king of your life? There is a Negro spiritual that cries, Oh Mary, oh Mary, where is your baby today? And she answers, They done took him from the manger, and they done set him on the throne. I want to ask you this morning to open up your life to the Christ of God. To allow your heart to be the manger where the Lord comes to live and dwell. Now listen carefully. If you have not yet opened up your life by faith to receive the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want you to do that today. Invite Him to come and live in your heart. And I want you this morning, those of us whose faith is pre-Christmas, to make Him king to let Him be Lord. And the beginning place of that is for you to do what God wants you to do with your life today. Let's get serious with God. Some of us have played the harlot. Some of us have denied Him with our life while we've professed Him with our lips. I ask you this morning to make Him Lord of all. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray today that those of us who have never yet claimed to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, might come today to the place where He is, where He meets us, to receive Him as our Savior and Lord, to confess Him as the Savior of our heart and life and our sin, to know Him, to proclaim Him, to profess Him publicly, and I pray for those of us who have not lived under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've done our thing. We've gone our way. And our faith has been a lip service kind of faith. I pray you'll draw us unto thee and to that vital commitment that is to be lived out in a different way. And for this moment of invitation, we pray that your ultimate and perfect will shall be done in each heart and life. Because I pray in Jesus' name.
Now, our invitations are these. Look this way, if you will. The first invitation is for those of you who have not yet professed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you'd like to know Him as your personal Savior. You'd like for Him to take your sin and forgive you. Would you come confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and that He's the living Lord? Then you shall be saved. The second invitation is for Christians to come to make Jesus Lord, rededication of life, or to place their life and membership in the congregation of First Baptist Church. While we stand and our choir leads our song, you come right quickly while we stand.